This episode is sponsored by Component One, make- makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 32 of the JavaScript Jabber podcast. I am not your host, Charles Maxwood. I'm Jameson Dance. Uh, Chuck is at a conference this week, so he's not here. Um, we have with us Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Tim Caswell. Hello. And we have two special guests. Um, I'm going to mangle your name, so I'm sorry, but it's Misko Hevery. Close enough. Misko Hevery, yes, thank you. Great. Mishko Hevery and Igor Minar? Minar. Minar. Great. You guys want to introduce yourselves really quick? Sure. So, uh, as I said, my name is Mishko. I am the original um, creator of AngularJS and uh, Igor. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Igor. Uh, I joined Mishko about two years ago on this venture of creating a um, better browser and, and better environment for creating client side applications. So, um, yeah. He's been indispensable. <laughs> and if you can't tell, we're going to talk about AngularJS this week. Um, so I know it is kind of a Google project now. Did it start out that way? It started out uh, kind of something I was working on in my free spare time. Um, and then eventually I open sourced and I used it at a product within Google, uh, an internal application. And it just gotten such a rave of reviews and such better uh, feature velocity that Google actually said, hey, why don't you, it's this promising, why don't you work on this full time and turn it into a real product? Uh, and so that's how it started. Oh, wow. So there's actually a team of, of engineers at Google who are working on Angular as their job. Yes. Yeah. We are only that's awesome. Yeah. So it's just two of us here now, but uh, we have a bunch of other people working uh, full time on AngularJS and plus uh, our awesome community contributors. So. Um, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. There's a team behind AngularJS. Yes. Maybe, do you think you could give an overview and kind of a comparison to contrast Angular to some of the other MVC frameworks that people might be familiar with? I mean, Backbone, I guess, is the one most people know. So maybe what makes Angular different from Backbone? How does it work? So, uh, you know, I've, I've never used Backbone as my disclaimer, so I could say something wrong. So please correct me if I do. But my understanding is that Backbone is uh, basically allows to declare a model and then watch on changes on this model. And the way it does so is that you, there's a model class that you have to extend. And then whenever you modify the model state, you use special getters and setter methods so that, mod, that the, so the Backbone would know about the changes and propagate events. And so this is um, pretty different from Angular because we don't require you to inherit from anything or use any kind of special getters and setters. Um, we basically any JavaScript object can be a model, so that's one big difference. Uh, but other, you can still observe the changes on on objects like that. Correct. You can still observe, observe changes on objects like that. How does that work without any special code? Everybody asked the magic. question. And it's magic. That's um, man. That seems like the answer to a lot of questions I have about Angular. <laughs> it's very magical. It is very magical, but. Um, we try to keep it to the minimum, and we, we only do magic when we believe it outweighs the, uh, the cost of the magic outweighs the benefits. Uh, the other way around, rather. Um, so how does it work? It basically works that the, the model can only mutate during certain 
points in time. It basically means when I set time at fires, when an XHR comes back from the server, or when the user interacts with the, uh, uh, with the browser. And those are really the only times when you could have model change. And so what you can do is you simply you can hook into this uh, events. You can then run a good old dirty checking. Now it sounds scary, but it actually turns out that the number of bindings you have on a page is what determines how many items you have to check. And because um, humans can only consume so much data before the page becomes unlikely, uh, typically all checking all this stuff is not an issue. It's in you know single, maybe double digit uh, millisecond range, you know, something like 10 to 20 millisecond range that you can check. And so it actually turns out that it's perfectly fine and perfectly acceptable even if you have a relatively complicated pages to just simply verify to see if any values have changed. Wow, that makes a lot of sense actually. I never thought about doing it like that. So the benefit uh, being that you know you don't have to inherit from anything, you don't have to uh, follow any kind of special mechanisms or anything like that. Uh, it's just plain old JavaScript that you always know and love. Now, um, what about the uh, cost? You said it was only ten to twenty milliseconds, but is it uh, like how complex of a page have you guys tested this with? Right. So my uh, measuring thing is always something about two thousand bindings per page. So if you imagine a complicated page, you know, let's say it has 100 rows and 20 columns, uh, then the table would have about 2,000 items on it. And that's pretty much the limit of what you can show to the user before the user is going to kind of scream and say, hey, this page is ridiculous, you know, give me pagination or do something to make the page more uh, presentable. Um, and, and so that's what we're using as our benchmark. Hmm. So I would totally cut you off when you were explaining kind of the basics of Angular, and you only got through one feature. Do you want to talk about some of the other stuff it has too? Sure. So there's a couple of other uh, things. One of the things that we're most proud of is what we call the HTML compiler. In other words, we allow you to extend the vocabulary of HTML and add behavior to it. So you know, if you, for example, wanted to go back in time and you wanted to have a blink tag, um, you can literally teach the browser a new trick by saying, from now on, when you come across a blink tag, we'll reduce this behavior. And this is very different from you know, the worlds of jQuery, where you have an imperative a way of specifying behavior by selecting things on a page and then registering listeners, etc. By having this HTML compiler, you can have a declarative way of specifying things by saying, here's my blink tag, here's my pane, here's my tab, here's my accordion, here's my date picker, and so on. So it seems like some of the work designing an Angular application is is figuring out good abstractions to use as what are they called like components or something? I can't remember what they're called in we the docs. Directives. Directives. Yeah. Um, um, we come with a pretty fine set of directives. Things like ng repeat, so you can unroll arrays, uh, ng show and hide, um, ng model for data binding to input fields, um, ng view and routers for uh, doing navigation between pages. So there's a rich existing set of things we already have, which we think we have kind of figured out at every application we use. Uh, what we expect you as a developer to do is to turn into turn your application into components, right? So if you're building a map application, presumably you would have a map component. If you're building a calendar application, presumably you would have like a day, uh, week, <coughs> and a month components and Maybe so on. Event or Maybe events. So the approach Angular takes is, is uh, very different from many of the other solutions, and especially uh, the pre um, 
MVC framework era solutions um, because we we thought that you know uh, HTML uh, is pretty awesome at uh, describing static static layout of static pages, but it it's falls short when it comes to building dynamic applications. So um, we started to think about you know why why uh, is it and how we can address it and what people do to address this issue and then. Um, you know, everybody's familiar with jQuery and, you know, or, or other approaches like Clojure and, and uh, similar, similar libraries that just abstract away uh, the not so developer friendly DOM APIs um, that are often inconsistently implemented across browsers and just make it possible to, to do DOM manipulation with the same, uh, with same APIs and in a consistent way. But all this DOM, DOM manipulation is very imperative. So, you are telling the browser, you know, this is the sequence of steps you need to take in order to display something or, or do some kind of effect. Um, but HTML takes a very different approach. In HTML, you describe, you know, this is the end result, and you let the browser figure out how to get to that end result. And uh, we think that this approach is really good for building web applications. And, and there are many environments, uh, especially in the desktop world, um, like WPF or, or Flex, um, that that showed us that that you know declarative templating and, and data binding is really awesome, and uh, that's why we thought you know could we bring this to the browser and could we bring it in a way that would feel natural and would feel like like a browser just knows how to do data binding, how to create declarative templates for web applications, and you know we we, we took this route and, and started implementing AngularJS um, in, in a way that is very intrusive, and as Mishko mentioned, you know. One of that um, mean, uh, what that means is that we don't ask you to extend any of the framework uh, types or, or classes. Um, we can work with any kind of type you might have, or just native arrays or objects. Um, and uh, we use HTML as our template, and we just extend HTML, just like you will in the future with uh, features like web components that are coming um, to the to the web platform in a in a short uh, in, in the near future. Yeah, one of the things it says on the website that I really like is that it, it's kind of like how you imagine browsers might just work in a couple of years, yeah. which is neat to be able to work with stuff like that right now. Yeah, yeah. So actually, we work very closely with with uh, Chrome teams, and, and uh, we are involved in discussions about the future standards. So some of the standards, like the Web Components standard, have been affected by the work we've done with AngularJS. And we're kind of prototyping what works and what doesn't. And then the guys who work on specs talk to us. And in this way, we can influence standards and tell them, you know, this worked for us. Or we tried this, and it was horrible. It didn't work at all. You know, they don't make it a standard. The same thing applies to Object Observe. Uh, which is a uh, ECMAScript uh, standard that I think is aimed for ECMAScript 7. It was approved just very recently, and it will allow us to do object-level observation uh, in JavaScript uh, natively. So you'll be able you'll be able to to register uh, observer on any kind of object or array uh, in your application and be notified when any of the properties of that object change. This is very similar to how Angular does. Uh, model mutation observation, but it's done natively in the browser, so we don't have to do dirty checking, and uh, it's gonna be much more performant, and it's gonna scale even better than what we can do with JavaScript today. It's very cool. 
so one other thing I wanted to ask about um, was the way that you kind of hang your application together. It looks like um, Angular does a lot with dependency injection and passing like controllers into things automatically and passing. I, I don't know all the Angular terms yet. I've kind of dabbled with it, but haven't built an application with it, so I'm probably right. mangling stuff. But um, it. It, it uses it like two strings functions and automatically resolves dependencies and stuff. So so you don't have to really deal with. Um, do you think it eliminates the need for a, a module loader like like um, require or, or something like that, or does it complement with that? Um, so actually, I'm going to answer a slightly different question here, and that is, you should ask the question what it doesn't have specifically because of dependency injection. And so because of the dependency injection, Angular doesn't have a main method, something that's very common in other systems. Maybe we should talk a little bit about what dependency injection is. Right. Uh, because so, many of the JavaScript developers are not familiar. So what dependency injection is, is a declarative way. Notice that we love this declarative uh, theme over and over again. The dependency injection is a declarative way of assembling your application. And because it's declarative, you don't need to write a main method that basically figures out how the application should be assembled. Uh, and because it's declarative, in your tests, you can assemble the application differently, replacing components such as authentication or XHRs with pieces that you don't need. The end result is that all the code that you normally write for assembling the app. Like all the instantiation of components right. and just passing components into another component so that you can use it. Simply doesn't exist in Angular. And so when it comes to modules and uh, module loading, uh, you know, this is the case of overloaded, overloaded terminology. Angular has a concept of modules, but it means different than modules in case of an AMD or require. Um, AMD or require basically deal with how do I load uh, dependencies, in this case dependency is a JavaScript dependency, into the browser. How do I assemble the application at the code level? Angular's dependency injection system deals with how do I instantiate and assemble the individual classes into an application. And while the two might look similar, they're actually very, very different. Right. So, but one nice side effect of using dependency injection in your application is that since you are not in charge of instantiating components, uh, since it's the framework's role to, to, do, uh, to do this uh, kind of thing, then um, you don't need to worry about the, the code load order because the framework can ensure that, that uh, all the right stuff is loaded, and that's the case with the Angular applications. Unless you're using third-party dependencies, there is absolutely no need to, to use uh, anything like RequireJS or, or AMDs or CommonJS. Um, if you are using, if you're building a big application, you have many third-party dependencies that are not Angular components and they don't know about dependency injection, that's when RequireJS and Snowman loaders come handy and you can use them in addition to uh, Angular dependency injection system. Are there examples of that working in the wild? I think the uh, Adios Manis uh, to do MVC project contains uh, implementation of required JS with uh, Angular. Okay. Uh, so that's uh, one example to look at. I know of some other applications that uh, I, I helped with, but uh, I don't think that any of those are open source, as far as I can remember. But I just want to add to, uh, to this, because many people confuse uh, RequireJS with dependency injection. And uh, the, the biggest distinction between the two is 
Require.js doesn't create instances, doesn't create instances of components. It just passes away, uh, passes around references to code, and then you instantiate all the components uh, when you need them. But dependency injection, dependency injection hands over to you instances of, of components. That's the biggest difference between it. One of the um, difficulties I have with Angular and just wrapping my head around it is because there isn't a main method, like you said, um, there's no, like, thread that I can trace back to where all the things come into play. So it seems like there's just this cycle where everything always exists magically. Um, how do you train your brain to get around that? So it doesn't magically exist all the time. Dependency injection will instantiate components only when they are needed. So components are uh, instantiated lazily. And um, let's talk a little bit about the main method and why we think it's evil. Um, what is it that you like about the main method? Um, just like I said, it's it's if you are trying to understand an app and you can't figure it out, you can always just go back to the main method and just follow stuff that happens there. Okay. So what we typically see is that for small applications, main method is fine uh, because you know it's very simple. It just instantiates one or two components and kicks off the application. But in large applications that have many many components, this uh, main me method. Uh, organically grows and becomes very hard to maintain because uh, the order in which you do stuff in the main method really matters. Uh, so everybody's uh, in, on large projects, people are afraid of editing the main method because you don't know what kind of consequences small changes in main method will have. And the other problem with main method is that it ties your application to, to this particular way of uh, bootstrapping the application. So if you want to bootstrap the application in a different way, using some kind of mock components, let's say you don't want to talk to your database in a unit test, uh, it becomes really hard to figure out how to construct this application for a unit test uh, in a way that this model will still preserve all the other components uh, intact. So I think that that's really one of the most amazing things about Angular is just the whole DI system. Uh, I built a pretty large HTML5 player using Angular and it was just amazing uh, what it could do um, and how much that lent itself to testability. And nobody else had really thought about that. And, you know, other systems, especially ones that use require, there's this issue that with require, you're bringing in potentially real objects. And so there's no way to mock them out for testing. And with, yeah. Angu with Angular, whether you use require or not, it's still Angular that provides you the stuff. So when you go and tell Angular, hey, for this test, use this instead of the real thing, Angular does it all for you and handles it just great. So the thing with require, there are ways to work around this using uh, plugins or, or some uh, configuration of uh, require.js, but it's not pretty. It's very they're ugly. so ugly. Oh, they're so ugly. Yeah, it's very ugly, and, and it just complicates your life, you know. With dependency injection, things are so much easier uh, because you just ask for dependencies that you need in tests, and they are provided to you. And if you need to override the dependency, you just say, okay, instead of uh, this uh, HTTP client, use uh, this mock client, and everything just works. I've been moving a lot of my code to dependency injection lately. The library architect I made for Cloud9 is basically the same thing. It sits on top of require and require JS. And instead of requiring some module, you just require some service, and then anything can provide that service. Yeah. So we were inspired by, 
by Juice and, and the Java server-side uh, programming models where, where Juice and, and uh, things like Pico Container, and Pico Container uh, showed us how to do inversion of control and dependency con uh, injection. So both Mishko and I are, are uh, used to be uh, Java, Java developers and, and we're um, influenced by, by Juice. I deny my history. Mishko <laughs> <laughs> denies it, but... I remember it. <laughs> my Java background is Swing, so I didn't learn much from that. Yeah, I actually do. <laughs> so I have a question. I've I've done a lot of UI frameworks over the years and used a lot of them, and things are all great and easy until you have some nice composite thing you need to build, like a tree view widget. So how would you build a tree view widget in Angular? Like what techniques would you use? So we feel very strongly that no matter how much time you spend designing the system, there are going to be cases where you're going to hit this proverbial glass ceiling. And so one of the things we've, we've thought about very hardly in Angular is how do we provide lots of escape hatches so that you can, you can get out and basically figure out a way out of this. Um, and so to us, the answer is uh, this thing called directives. And uh, with directives, you essentially become a regular good old jQuery uh, JavaScript, and you can do whatever you want. So, so think of directive as a as an instruction to the compiler that tells it whenever you come across this uh, element or this kind of uh, CSS class in the template, execute this kind of code, and uh, that code is in charge of the element and everything below that element in the DOM tree. Right. So, so I so I could just put the entire tree view in one. Directive, but I probably want to break it up because I've got I've got leaf nodes and tree nodes, and could those be smaller directives with their own element types? Yes. So on our homepage, we, for example, have an example of panes and tabs, which are two directives that collaborate with each other in order to get the final effect of having a tabable view. Um, so in the same way, you could uh, set up a uh, individual cell rendering. Uh, and put it inside of a tree directive, and the tree directive would essentially be a fancy repeater. Instead of repeating over items in sequence, it would repeat over items in a hierarchical fashion. That's what trees are. Okay, so whatever the problem is, you can you can build a custom directive that will do it. There's enough flexibility there. Right, right, right. and you can compose directives. That's one one thing that we thought really hard of. Uh, a directive should be. It should be possible to create a directive that is used by another directive that is used by another directive, and this nesting can be as deep as needed. Uh, so that that's uh, how we extend HTML and make it possible to create these complicated UIs. So one cool use of that I saw um, we someone at our our company used Angular just because they're interested in it to. Build out this like backend UI tool really quickly, and we were all pretty amazed by what he did. Um, one cool thing he did was was build up a dashboard type of thing, and it was like that with nested directives. So it was like creating graphs, um, but it wasn't using this normal graph library. It was just using um, I think it was a couple jQuery plugins he used to build up his own, basically like graphing HTML tags, but they weren't HTML tags; they were just directives. So it was really cool. So the way to think about it is that with the use of directives, we essentially allow you to turn HTML into a domain-specific language for creating the app for you. 
Yeah, it's a really powerful concept. It's deep. I gotta let that marinate in my brain for a little bit. <laughs> so, so where is your where is your what the model would be? Where is all your data stored? Is it in these directives themselves or separate, or does it matter? Um, so the model is stored in basically your object that you define yourself. We don't have a model class you inherit from. We don't specify what the model can be. Uh, in other words, it's totally up to you to create a model. Uh, whether it's just a plain, uh, you know, JSON, which means a bunch of hashes nested into itself, or whether you choose to create a JavaScript types and then instantiate those, you know, that is your choice what the model is. The only requirement is that the model has to, there has to be a reference to the model from the scope. And scope is this glue that sits between directives and the controllers. And so typically what happens is the controller initiates actions such as talking to the server in order to fetch the data then take the data and assign it to the scope so that the individual directives can access the, um, the, the model from the scope and then use either data binding or whatever rendering mechanism to use to project it to the user. So scope is just the object. It's, uh, you can think of it like exports in, in uh, Node.js. It's just the object that you assign stuff to and then that's available in the template. Uh, that, that's how you expose your model to the templating engine and, and then we start the mutation observation and uh, update the view whenever necessary. When I was um, building my uh, application in Angular and we first started researching it, to me, I started thinking of it as my view model, that the scope. Yeah. The scope is, yeah, actually that, that's very true. So we, th there is a lot of controversy about, you know, model view controller, model view view model, and, and all these uh, terms and, and uh, styles of structuring the code. Um, but I think uh, describing scope as view model is very correct. And another thing that I, I think initially confused me just a little bit is the controller didn't end up being an actual object that got used. What it, all it did was create the scope, right? And then it was really no longer anything anymore. It was the scope that was doing everything. Uh, for small apps, that seems to be the case. For large apps, you know, controller would have the behavior specific to that page. Uh, Behavior that would be shared across different views would be placed inside of a service and then injected into the controller. Um, but for the most part, the controller is just this thing that sets things up. Right. Uh, so, since, oh, go ahead. I have one, uh, another question. I don't know unless was, yours was related to this, but uh, I was kind of curious. In when when we did our application, we were using the HTML5 video component, right? And of course, you don't have any built-in um, uh, directives for the HTML5 video component. So all the events that it raised, there's no ng dash, you know, like on play or uh, on stop, uh, all right. those video events. So we ended up wrapping ours in, uh, I think we tried using a directive for a while. And I definitely found that directives were the hardest piece of Angular to grok. So we ended up wrapping it in a service. And then it was the service that handled everything uh, that the uh, HTML5 video player did. And then we just dealt with the scope that way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Do you think well, it, do you think that was a, a poor implementation? It would have been a lot better for us to implement it using a directive. So we 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 know it's a common criticism that uh, directives are complicated to understand, and uh, I I fully hear everybody who says that. I know they're complicated. I spent a lot of time trying to make it simple. I have uh, to some degree failed and some degree succeeded, uh, but um, we hear you. Some changes in the future to make it simpler. 
um, we still feel that directives are the thing that is responsible for talking to the DOM. So in your particular case, so it is possible to use services as a way uh, as a communication uh, channel with the DOM, but it's not really the Zen of Angular, right? The Zen of Angular is that all of the DOM information should be hidden behind a directive. And so the way you influence the DOM is that you, you change the model and then the model becomes projection to the view, to the DOM. Uh, if you put things inside of a service that no longer holds true, now you've went from a declarative world of DOM into an imperative world like jQuery. And so these benefits, declarative benefits, um, are, are starting to be, be lost. Now, sometimes it's useful to take these shortcuts, but sometimes, you know, if you have a large application, it's useful to under, uh, to invest into doing it um, through the directives. It definitely you know, felt wrong I, to us when we did actually, it. I, I wrote the pip code um, backbone application. Um, what was it called? The, the, the music player? I, I wrote it from backbone to AngularJS. And in that case, I did use service to wrap the, the audio element that actually played the music because that audio element was not part of the visual representation on the page. It was just a, a way for me to play music. And in that case, it does make sense to wrap it into service. So I don't know what was the particular case in, in, in uh, your application, but um, whenever um, the directives should be used when you have a element in your, in your template that should have extra behavior that you want to define through JavaScript. Gotcha. So um, we kind of touched on this earlier when you were talking about models, but what kind of support does Angular have for syncing stuff with the server does it just punt on that question and leave it up to you or does it have stuff for it uh we leave that uh we try to be server-side agnostic uh, and so it's hard to have an opinion and not be server-side agnostic <laughs> <laughs> so we provide uh services that allow you to communicate with the server uh through http requests and jsonp um so we have facilities to to make either low-level um XHR request or uh, cross-domain XHR or JSONP request. Uh, and we also have a higher level uh, service for building basically a RESTful client. So if you want uh, to use REST on your server, uh, we have a way of just generating a pre very generic RESTful client. What we often find that there are so many dialects of REST out there that it's hard to build a single um, REST client generator. So um, there either always have to be a ways to customize this uh, this uh, um, client that is generated, which is the the route we took, uh, or there have to be adapters for particular servers. So if you are using Rails, uh, you should be say, okay, generate me a Rails client. And I think this is a better approach, and and that's something we are exploring for for the future, where we'll just build a bunch of uh, Generators that will just give you, you know, REST uh, Rails specific uh, client um, or App Engine specific client or whatever you have, um, because we find that that is, that is the easier way to deal with uh, all these dialects on the server. Um, you mentioned services a couple times in the past few minutes. I don't think we ever really defined what those are. Is there um, is there a good definition for what a service is in Angular? It's a Instance of a class that's not a controller. <laughs> <laughs> it's an injectable. It's an injectable component. So it's a component that is instantiated by the dependency injection system and is provided to any other component that will ask for it. 
So let's say, um, like I mentioned, the, the, the audio player or the, the music player application. In that case, uh, I needed a way of playing music. And the issue already has the audio tag that if you just set the source and hit the uh, instructed to play, it will just start playing music through your speakers. So what I did, I just created a service. I called it a uh, player or audio player. And uh, within the service, I just created a detached audio tag and uh, exposed APIs that would allow me to play uh, certain music for certain URLs. And then in my controller, I could just say, you know, if I want to play music, this controller needs an audio player. The dependency injection system will instantiate this component. Will And the controller can then, uh, whenever you hit the, uh, the play button or the next button, it will just uh, delegate this uh, this piece of work to, to this uh, component. And... Uh, Breaking down component, breaking down the application into these components is a big part of Angular because we try to give you a structure for your application and dependency injection and services play a big part in this. We, we feel that by creating many small components that uh, create the, the big application will help you in uh, maintaining the application because, you know, if you have smaller pieces that are focused on a particular task, then it's easier to understand what they do, it's easier to document them, it's easier to maintain them, and very importantly, it's easy to test them as well. So in your test, you can say, you know, I want to test this particular service, and it's very easy to do it because you don't have all these dependencies. Uh, it, the service does just one thing, so you can say, let's test if this plays a music, uh, and you write tests for that specific task. It's not, uh, you know, in, in jQuery, you often end up writing code that does uh, playing music, fetching uh, data from the server, and updating the, the UI at the same time. And in order to test this kind of code, um, you have to either write an end-to-end -end test, which means you need to bootstrap your entire application and write this very slow test that will verify that the right thing actually happens. And this test is not only slow, but often, fl often flaky. Um, and uh, writing the, the other <clears throat> the other kind of test that we think is good for applications is the unit test. So unit test targets specific components. It's very fast and uh, allows you to diagnose um, problems much faster because if you get a error from a unit test, you know that, oh, this component and this particular uh, task that uh, this component is supposed to be doing is, is not working properly. Whereas in an end-to-end -end test, when something goes wrong, there are many components that you need to deal with. You need to diagnose and figure out what is it that went wrong. The surface is much larger. Yeah, I really feel like with Angular, the testability and then those, really just the idea of services are the two things that make it significantly, well, my favorite uh, framework to use because it encourages you, those, those services give you a place to stick code that isn't a controller. Um, yep. Yeah, and nobody, nobody else, nobody else has that. I, I can't remember. I can't count the number of. What backbone. are you talking about? Those are called views in Backbone. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot count the number of views I've seen in Backbone that are six hundred lines long because people just aren't given a place to put it. You know, DHH said one of the most amazing ideas they came up with with Rails was an empty directory that just gave people a place <laughs> to put files. It gave them a place, and that's what services are. They're that empty directory, that place. Put your code in here. Go create some services. We've given you this thing to put your code in so you can make a lots of small pieces rather than 
you know, a 600 line long view. Right. So and I'm very happy to hear that, that you like the testability story of Angular because that's one of our key goals. Uh, we, we really want to build large applications that are maintainable. And in order to do that, we feel that testing must be uh, something that is baked into the solution. It cannot be an add-on. It cannot be something that was just added uh, later. Um, it must be baked into, into the framework and the whole development for workflow must work in a way where testing is first-class citizen. And we do this not only through the dependency injection and the, the gui guidelines we give you to structure your application, but also by providing tools for, for writing and running tests. So we integrate really well with Jasmine or Mocha. And we also have uh, a test runner, uh, which is actually not Angular specific. Uh, it's called Testacular. And uh, what it allows you to do is to run unit tests in real browsers. Uh, so if, if you want to just test the application, it will just start Chrome with a, with a empty profile and will execute all of the unit tests in Chrome and it will report back to you. And even better is that it will watch the file system and it will understand the structure of the application. And whenever you change source or test uh, source code, then uh, it will rerun the test and will report, oh, you broke something just now or, or everything's still working. So what we get out of this is a workflow where we run all of our unit tests on every uh, file save. So with, with AngularJS itself, we have 1600 uh, unit tests uh, which test all the domain manipulation, all the all the service interactions, and all the all the craziness that is happening behind the scenes, and we can run all these tests within a few few seconds. So I think in in Chrome and Safari it's uh, about four seconds. So with this kind of development, you can get a really rapid response. Uh, in did my recent change break something or not? And you're really confident by your application, and you just change the way you think about writing writing the code. Should we pause for a sec? Yeah. Move? Yep. We're we're we, we're getting pretty close to where we need to wrap it up too. All right. So, um, are there any final questions? If not, we'll get to the picks. We're you running know, up against our time limit. I don't want to. I don't want to make uh, give a question. I just want to make a comment on everything that you just said about testability and say that that's what I just love that. If you were in here in this room, I would kiss you full in the mouth. <laughs> Oh boy, we we love to hear when people tell us that this is awesome because we honestly believe that that this makes Angular special and and uh, we would like to encourage other frameworks, other libraries, and the entire JavaScript community to just rethink the way they write the code uh, and start thinking about testability first or testability as one of the the primary goals of whatever APIs that they are building. Right, not not just testing yourself, but yeah, also enabling others to use you to have a testing story. So I see I see two main benefits in Angular, and these are two different brilliant ideas. One, of course, is the dependency injection, which we've been talking about, and then the other is the directives, which is a way to do declarative programming. And I think they're they're independent ideas that other frameworks can pick one or the other, depending on what they like. I mean, I I prefer procedural direct code on small apps but I could still use dependency injection and have services. Yep. One of the, one of the sayings we have in the node community is, there's a question, it's like, how do you build a large program? How do you make it maintainable? And the answer is, well, you don't. You just make a bunch of small modular yep. components and integrate them well. 
and exactly. dependency dependency injection makes that possible. Yes. Yeah, so I, I still say that uh, these are very unique features that nobody else has. As far as I know, we're the only framework that has dependency injection. We're the only framework that allows you to extend the HTML vocabulary. Also, the the way we do data binding and the two way data binding is is very very unique and. Um, I don't think anybody's uh, as close to bringing a smooth data binding uh, to, to developers as, as Angular is. And I'd also like to point out that if you look at Angular controllers, uh, it's completely void of any kind of Angular API. It's just pure JavaScript. So I really like what you said about two-way data binding. I think um, you can probably say that any large enough backbone application will have its own bad implementation of data binding. Um, so it's really cool to see it built into the app. Yeah. Um, are there any last things before we get to the picks? Can't think of anything. Any, anything <laughs> you you wish you had said already that you didn't get a chance to? Hi, I'm well, AJ, and I'm coming at you live from the place in Orem where I am. <laughs> All right, just in time, AJ. <laughs> Good timing. All right, let's yeah, get to so the we would like to just, just thank you for inviting us and giving us the opportunity to talk about AngularJS here. Um, you know, I enjoy your podcast, and it's great to be here with you. I'm really glad you guys came on. Angular is like this mysterious, beautiful beast that I just kind of stare <laughs> at and poke at every once in a while and really oh. like to get more into. Um, so I think this might push me over the hill to actually building stuff with it. So our real goal is, you know, to make the browser smarter and uh, to prototype ways how, how this can be done and uh, help the developer community today to build applications uh, in, in a simple and beautiful way, and but also influence the standards that are coming and, and make sure that there are better, um, better primitives in the browser, in the web platform that would allow us to do even more and, and even um, bring even smoother development uh, workflows to the, to the developers. I just want to end the suffering of all the endless developers who have to write imperative code and are stuck in endless loops and and closure I mean, uh, indentation in hell as you doing callback <laughs> the pyramid of doom. Well, here's the end of the pyramid of doom. And the so, uh, and those developers were stuck without tests as well. Indeed, indeed. All right, we really do have to get to the picks. I there's so much interesting stuff to say. I'm sorry to cut it off, but um. We don't want to keep people for too long, so right. let's yep. start it off. I, I do have one last question. Are you hiring? <laughs> are we hiring? Oh, yes, we are hiring. Actually, we are. So we, we are always looking for, for you know, JavaScript ninjas and people who are willing to do crazy things and, and just uh, challenge the status quo, because that's what many of the pieces of Angular's do, uh, Angular do, like, Many of the things you find in Angular are not something you would see elsewhere, uh, and we think that uh, you know rethinking the way we do development is important. And we're looking for people who have this approach, and are are willing to look out of the box and, and just think out of, out of the box and come up with a with a new ways of of uh, building applications. So if you are, if you feel like we are one of them, you know, let us know, and, and we'll be happy to talk to you. Great. Um. All right, let's get to the picks now. So, uh, Joe, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, so my first pick is going to be Angular. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> um, no, uh, my uh, my only pick 
uh, this week is the um, um, the show, uh, The Arrow, that was on the CW. What is it? The Arrow. It's a Green Arrow TV show. Oh. It's called The Arrow. Right on. Is that yeah, it? That's it. Um, AJ, do you have any picks? Come back to me in a second. Okay. Tim. Yes. Um... I would like to pick Font Awesome, which is a web font icon library. I've been using it, and it's got some really cool stuff in it. It's, I think it's feature parody with the icons in Twitter Bootstrap, but it's all through fonts. So you can do cool stuff like CSS, inner shadows, and whatever you want. And I've been using it for some little apps I've been building. We use Font Awesome on Angular website as well. Good, good choice. That's cool. Is that it, Tim? That's it. Sweet. Um, Mitch, do you want to go first? Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll go first. Uh, so I have two picks. Uh, Testacular. I would really like people to, to check it out because I think it's awesome. If you do unit testing or uh, you can do end-to-end testing, but that's not the primary focus. It's, it's really the unit testing. And you want to run your unit tests really, really quickly in real browsers, then check out the stack dealer. and uh, how do you get some numbers? Like how much faster? Well, oh, well, I already mentioned you know sixteen hundred uh, unit tests in uh, two to four seconds. Uh, but in Jasmine, which is not using the stack dealer, it, it's minutes. So it's if, minutes. If, you, if you are using Jasmine, uh, you can still use Jasmine. Uh, the stack dealer will just uh, run the Jasmine test for you. If you're using Mocha, you can use Mocha. The stack dealer will just run the tests for you in the real browser. Uh, it's super fast, and, and people just love it. Everybody who, who has seen it, uh, I haven't seen a one bad movie about it. Um, and the second pick is Plunker. Uh, Plunker is just like JS Fiddle, or the, the general idea of JS Fiddle, but it's done right. It's uh, The editor is something that is awesome because they use Ace Editor, so it's the editor that you would see in Cloud9. Uh, I always find myself really frustrated with the JS Fiddle editor. That's not the case with Plunker. Blunker also allows you to break your, um, your your small application that you're writing in multiple files. Definitely check it out. It, it's really worth it. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Great. That sounds really cool. Um, Igor, do you want to go? Um, Mishko. That was Igor. <laughs> oh, that um, was Igor. Okay, Mishko. <laughs> so I am, I'm going to end a non-technical term. Uh, I've been reading this awesome book called Better Angels of Ourselves. It actually looks at history of people and how they got um, friendly, less violent, and so on over, over millennia, uh, it really opens up my mind. So I thought I'd share it with you guys. I've actually heard of that book. That's the second time someone's recommended it to me. I'll have to check it out. Um, I'll go next, I guess. Um, so, oh, were you done? Sorry, yes. I didn't want to cut no. you off. Okay. All right. So, um, this game called XCOM came out this week, and it's a remake of a classic like strategy tactical turn-based combat game from 1993, which is one of the best games ever made. So I had really high hopes um, for this game, but was also kind of scared of it because it could just murder my baby, and they did a great job. It's, it's um, easy enough to pick up if you haven't played the old game yet, but it's still really true to its uh, its spirit, I guess. So it, it's 
a sci-fi game where you um, control this organization that is kind of defending the world from an alien invasion. So you have this base building part and like global strategic management part, but then you actually go on missions and, and have these tactical turn-based squad combat um, battles with aliens. So it's a great game. And then my other pick uh, is just the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov. I read them when I was a little kid a long time ago, and I remember liking them, but um, I'm just reading them again, almost done with the last book, and they're so good. They're great. It's just classic, wonderful sci-fi. So if you haven't read those yet, definitely check them out. Um, AJ, what's your pick or picks? Um, so I've been listening to this book, Influencer. Um, I didn't mention that before, did I? I don't know. Okay, good. So it's uh, Influencer, The Power to Change Anything. And it's it's interesting because it comes from the perspective of, it, it's kind of like Blink and, and a couple other books are uh, maybe Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow or something like that. It's in that genre. Um, it focuses on the uh, the finding out where the outliers are of the results that you want. So say you want to lose weight. Um, look at people who are fat and find the ones that are losing weight and then figure out what they're doing different for you. Or if you're in a company and you want to, um, you want people to be more safe, uh, look at the departments where people are having fewer injuries and try to figure out what they're doing different. So it's, it's the reverse approach of, like intuitively, a lot of times we just, like we think of solutions and then we try to implement them and experiment with them. But in a lot of cases, the solution to a problem already exists. Somebody's already using that solution. So you don't have to think about the solution or invent it. You just have to kind of see, you have to use your skills to find out who's already got it and then why it's working for them. And uh, so it's it's been interesting to listen to and it's made me think about you know, a lot of things from business to relationships to better, just how to influence my life to get the results that I want. Cool. That sounds really interesting. Um, Mishko and Igor, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was Thanks very for having us. informative. Thanks for having us. And hopefully you guys who are listening liked it too. Um, we'll see. see you guys next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.